I will correct myself. I'm sorry. He is not, he was not fired. He's part of a workforce reduction slash layoff, but obviously he hasn't signed anything yet. So he's actually not fired. He's actually still a full time employee right now. So I, yeah, I don't know what he is. I'm he, like a Schrodinger's is, employee. Exactly. <laughs> like, don't, don't look exactly. Too that was, I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 142. And on today's show, we're going to talk about moving, and that's going to go in a bunch of different directions. Carol is not with us tonight. She's got an excused absence because she is. Wait for it. Moving. Moving. (laughs) (laughs) So, without further ado, let's start with our triumphs and fails. We've got the rest of the crew here. It looks like it is my turn to go first. I'm going to start off with a triumph. I got a compliment today from a coworker about my solution to a problem we had. I almost said like about code I wrote. It wasn't 100% about code that I wrote, but it was about a solution that I, I, a code adjacent solution that I came up with. So, uh, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So, we have this tool where our customers can upload an Excel file and we import that basically into a table of data for them, right? That's Mm -hmm. a pretty standard feature. And in order to increase performance and detach it from the main thread, that sort of thing, we do it using a Lambda function instead of like inside of the Lucy monolith. And so it depended on this uh, NPM module called Excel-data. And that module just decided to disappear from the internet. It's like it was not there at all. It just, it it got unpublished as far as I can tell. Like it was there. We had been using it for years and it's just gone now. Totally ghosted. It's not on the guy's GitHub anymore. It's not on NPM. There's like zero record of it. So I I looked up the, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I thought NPM wasn't allowing people to do that anymore. I, I looked into it. Their official policy is in very narrow circumstances, you can unpublish your module from public, right? So you have to be the only owner slash maintainer. It has to have gotten less than 300 downloads in the last week at the moment that you want to unpublish it. And no public projects can depend on it. No, like other uh, NPM yeah, dependencies yeah, can yeah. depend on it. But if you have a private project, like your your business that depends on this module, you know, pound sand. Who cares? <laughs> and, and like, I get it. 300 downloads a week is, when you're talking about the NPM ecosystem, it's not a high bar to cross, right? Obviously, mm. there's something else out there that people are using or something. We found a ton of Excel-related modules, but like 99% of them are generating Excel, and we're doing the opposite. We're trying right. to consume Excel, XLSX specifically. And the others that are like, maybe this might work, you go look at the readme and it's all in like Chinese. Like I, I <laughs> actual I Chinese or, well, you know, it's in those symbols. Like me personally, I can't tell the difference between Chinese, Japanese, right. you know, okay. Cantonese, whatever, non, but like non-Latin characters for sure. And it's not like Cyrillic or something, right? It's, it's, it's definitely. Cause you could read Cyrillic. Asian, well, <laughs> don't tell Putin. Next to each other. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, actually I kind of, to me, I was a little taken back by this compliment that I received because to me, the solution seemed a little on the obvious side. And so not to toot my own horn, just I want to kind of use you guys as a sounding board to see how obvious the solution actually is. So this, this NPM module disappeared and we can't just take time out of our lives to go find a replacement and rewrite the, the tooling to use it. So how would you solve this problem? I mean, do you have a local NPM somewhere, a copy of it? Stand up like a mirror of it? So we do have it downloaded locally. Can't like you create you know, a local in, in a local development environment. Like a, can't you create a local package management thing to, to serve it out? That's what I did. Yeah, because we, we, we sort of have the same. So in our PCI environment, we're not allowed to like getting Lucy packages is extremely hard. So we basically mm. have created our own local package manager. Right. That's outside of it. That then we create a whitelist to it. It's a it's a whole mess. So, which is the only reason I even thought of that. So. Right. 
Yeah, so we we do have a number of private packages that we publish, not even on like, so NPM has like a premium thing where you pay extra, you get a private organization, you can publish stuff to NPM proper, like it's on their same mm-hmm. environment as all the public stuff, but it's it's invisible to people that aren't in your organization. We don't use that. We use GitHub's offering, which is very similar. You just have to like add a configuration file that says, okay, this organization name, they're like at alumni queue means go look in the the repository for that is over here on GitHub instead of on NPM. Gotcha. And so we, we've got a bunch of modules that are there. So I literally just took out of my local dev environment, my copy of this module the, the you know, I went to node modules, Excel data, copied everything out of that folder, created a new project in our GitHub organization, called it Excel data, copied and pasted all the content in, changed the package JSON. So now it's like at alumniq slash Excel data, mm. you know, made a couple, just the, the minorest of changes to make it possible to publish this to our package repo. Did an NPM publish, updated the project to, to pull from at alumniq slash Excel data, gets to change the require statement that's pulling it in. And, and it just worked. And so, I, okay, I'm, I'm kind of glad to see, Tim, that you thought of that almost instantly. Yeah, yeah. To me, like I said, to me that was an obvious solution. It's like, okay, that's, this is just the easy thing to do. It's just it's a delivery mechanism. We don't have to reinvent everything here. Yeah, right. I, yeah. yeah. See, my mind immediately went to much more complicated solutions. Like, could you somehow spin up Open Office and create Oof. a Docker Ooh. container for that or something? I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of Docker container that does this kind of stuff. But definitely publishing the package yourself is way much way more simple. You're a tryhard, Ben. Yeah, because I, you know, I've never done a private repository for or private package for Node modules. I'm not super yeah. embedded in the Node systems, so that yeah, not. if you don't have experience with it, it's it's excusable to not. There you go. Think much appreciated. Yeah. Much appreciated. <laughs> you're, you're I, I, I'm just glad I got it. I was like, oh, I'm going to kind of idiot here. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, man, you were right. That see, that's the obvious solution. I don't know what anybody else is thinking about on my team, but I was just like, it. It literally took me like ten minutes. Like, okay, I'll just do this. Took yeah. it. Did you it. Know, part of me often wrestles with the idea of just we use the term vendoring. I don't know if that's a widely mm-hmm. used term. Yeah, yeah, but basically taking what would ordinarily be an external module and committing it to your code source. Your own repository. Yep. Yeah. I often kind of wish we did that with more things. Hmm. If for no other reason, I sometimes find the NPM install step of a build process to be the slowest part of the entire hmm. build. Yeah, it can be for sure. And to if if we could somehow just completely get rid of that and make that part of the git pull, be awesome. It's a trade-off though. I mean, yeah. you're right, it can be super slow and annoying, but like the trade-off if you're going to, you know, commit your node modules to the git repo, then you're adding, you know, whatever 200 megs of crap that's getting downloaded every time anybody does a a pull or, you know, that sort of thing. Yo, can I side ran for a second on package managers? We don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does all the time. <laughs> so I know very little about package managers. And certainly I know next to nothing about package managers outside of the Node ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And recently we had to upgrade a version of, of Lucy that we were using at work. And if you think about the Docker file that outlines how the Docker image is going to get created, the Lucy part is the very first line in the entire Docker Mm -hmm. file and everything else comes after that. So if you change your base image, essentially it invalidates everything else, which means that you lose all of the cached layers from the Mm -hmm. Docker build, which usually is not a problem, except for it takes a little bit longer for the next build. But in my case, it was hugely problematic because at some point after that base image, there were a bunch of apt get and apt install or apt get install calls. And mm-hmm. I don't really know what apt get is from what I've been told and what I've seen. It's basically the package manager for Debian and Debian yeah. and Ubuntu. But it, it, it seems to be just a god awful package manager. And I don't know if I just don't have any experience with Shots it. Shots fired. It's wow. horrible. First of all, really? it's almost impossible to find a list of things that are actually available. If I just Google for well, like, show me the list. There's so many lists. You're yeah. standing on the shore of the beach saying, show me the water. <laughs> no, but the, the, right? 
but then it gets crazy too. So the problem is, is that one of the cache layers that we have in our app get install is from, from like a 0.97 version of some library. And when I go to invalidate it, none of our versions were pinned. It's all just like install Redis, mm. install this, mm. install that. You know, none of them are at versions like you would typically have in a node lock file or a yarn lock file. It's getting the latest. Yeah. So it's getting the latest. And the latest yeah. version was like five point stuff. something. Yeah. So I went from a zero point something to a five point something in one particular library. Wow. It, it completely broke. So I'm like, okay, I had to, first of all, just figuring out how do you pin the version of a package in apt-get, it's like you literally can't find that on the internet. I don't know if I'm just Googling for stupid things, but I finally had to ask people at work and they just said, oh, it's just package equals version in your, in mm -hmm. your list. So I said, okay, great. So I do, it was rdiff is the library we were looking for. So I said rdiff equals 0 0.97. And it says, oh, that package doesn't exist anymore. At that version, there's, a, there's not, a mirror somewhere. There's always a mirror. But I'm like, that's such BS. Like the whole point <laughs> of the package management is so that you don't have to worry about crap like this. Is it like it yeah. should just work? And yeah. and then I was starting to you know Google for how do you get older versions of stuff. Which again, maybe I'm just an idiot and I don't know how to Google. No, this is why Linux hasn't taken over. It's, it's stuff awful. like this, honestly. It, it's even just figuring out how to pin things and how to get older versions. Like nothing was coming up except well, like, like, like not Stack Overflow. It was like you know server server, server overflow or like server server fault. Server yeah. Fall. yeah. Like yeah. I, I didn't even know that. I don't even know what that is or why it still exists. And they were like, "Oh yeah, we only keep like the last one or two versions of stuff in the in the master list of all the packages." I'm like, it's just. It's bonkers. It's bonkers well, that that's how they're running it. It's crazy. Uh, they, so, think, they think it's bonkers you're running a 0 0.5 version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, let's be honest. Yeah. So much, so many different ways I could take this. The, yeah. Unpack the, it. <laughs> that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> like, it's so many things I forgot. Jesus. Like, like, could you imagine if you just went to install a version of a node module and they were like, oh, yeah, that's just not supported anymore. Constantly. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to do it where someone actually unpublished something, but you know, yeah. oh, Axios version four came out, so we just don't even expose version three anymore. Yeah, like that's I, I, crazy. I think, well, so okay, there's two things immediately top of mind. I'm going to say them both up front so that I don't forget. That's not how people used to use Linux for the longest time, and then storage, right? So we'll do the first one first, and remind me storage if I forget. The you know, Linux has a thousand years of history of people mm -hmm. like trying to make it work as a workstation slash server, but it's always been the like pet configuration as mm -hmm. a server, right? You know, <clears throat> the, the whole concept of cattle type servers is probably, I don't, I don't know for sure when it was born, but I'm guessing it's within the last 10 years, you know, or, or at least close to that. Yeah. So there's a limited history, especially compared to the, like, the, the history of the internet begins kind of with Linux stuff, right? So like <laughs> mm. the the span of, of, of Linux history on the internet is the span of the history of the internet. And so I'm not surprised that there's not a lot of well-organized information on how to do this kind of thing because nobody, when they're trying to set up their server, is like, oh yeah, I want to go download Redis version 0.2, right? <laughs> they're like, just I want the, the current version. It makes a, a ton of sense in today's environment where you're like, okay, I need this specific version because I rebuild my server 120 times a day and I want it to be this specific version right. every single time. And so there's, like you said, there is a way to do it, but it's not obvious and, and not well documented, I guess. I will say, let me throw this in there in the middle. apt-get is my favorite of the Linux package managers. Yes. I, I never got on. terrible? Is that the yum, what you Yum is, yeah. Yum and... And what was the other one that I was trying to think of? I don't know. Pip, whatever. There's the, one for Python, right? It's pip. That's pip, but that's not pip. Linux. That's that's Python. Okay, that's specifically Python. Yeah, like it, it's it's the npm to Python. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway, so storage. You know, like I was saying, you're you're standing on the shore of the ocean, going, "Show me the water." Well, there's like a bajillion <laughs> versions of a bajillion packages out there. Like it's got to cost an insane amount of money to store and make available all that stuff and make the the what do you call it? whatever the services that are, are exposing that the registry yeah. performant to, you know, okay, you want to go dig up a specific version of a specific package that nobody's touched in the last eight years. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't really think, cause uh, you know, it is like, I don't understand but you're not how wrong. The, the technical implementation 
of a package manager. I don't understand how that works. I mean, you bring up storage and cost. I don't know how NPM does it. I mean, they must have a massive amount of data. <laughs> They're they VC funded. Store. Are they? Yeah. That's how you, that's how you can and, do And now they have like days. premium stuff like I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there was something else I wanted to say about package managers, but we can move on. Yeah. Yeah. Move. We'll move on. <laughs> Love it. Okay, perfect. So that's me. How about you, Ben? I want to go with a failure and a triumph, mostly because I don't want to just have a failure. (laughs) My failure this week is that my repetitive stress for my arms, my wrist and forearms has just been really, really aggravated the last couple of weeks and has really ramped up. And it's a little terrifying because this is what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. And feeling pain when I do that thing is, is very scary. And I've been icing my arm a lot. I found if I cut one of my socks in half, so it's just a tube, basically like I cut the foot part off and then I have the leg part that's the tube. I can put that around my arm and I can put an ice pack under there so I can hold the ice pack to my arm while I'm typing or just while I'm laying in bed watching TV. And I don't know if this is a bigger brag that you're your arms are as big as your legs or that your legs are as big as your arms. <laughs> well, it's, it's a elastic. sock. It's, a sock. it's yeah, elastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's been helping. And I've been doing some stretches and, and some PT, some physical therapy kinds of exercises, but it sucks. It sucks. And it's really scary. And I'm hoping that really what it is, is just the stress from work has like flooded my body with cortisol and other stress hormones. And that's yeah. just throwing everything out of whack, including including my wrists. So I'm hoping that when the stress of work and, and employment, when that settles down a bit more, then I think my body will hopefully just bounce back. Cause I have not really been doing anything unusual. Right. Well, fortunately co-pilot has your back. Well, so, okay. So that, that brings me to another point because I thought to myself, Hey, I've been trying more and more to use the dictation feature on my iPhone, on the bottom of the keyboard, the virtual keyboard, mm-hmm. this little microphone, you hit it and you can just dictate into your text messages, which is really where I use it. And it's really, really good. The dictation on the phone, it's like spot on. It'll go back and it puts in the right punctuation and it'll capitalize things and it'll change words as your sentences are getting fleshed out. And it like realizes that it didn't interpret something properly. It go back, it'll go back and fix it automatically in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's really impressive. So I'm like, oh, you know what? The Mac probably has that also. And there is, in fact, a dictation feature on the Mac. If you go into the keyboard settings in the, in the keyboard preferences, and you can turn on dictation. But it's off. It's so <laughs> bad. It will, it will literally. So I'm, I'm watching it as it's transcribing what I'm saying. And I'll see it start to type out exactly what I just said. And then it'll just erase the last three words. And then it'll just pick up where I left off, missing things. It's constantly missing punctuation. I'll say something to myself like, oh, it isn't clear in my mind. And when it hears the word clear, it just completely clears all of the text it just transcribed. And I I don't understand. I assumed it would be the exact same product, but apparently it is not the exact same product. And the one on the Mac is just awful. And I was... I was hoping I could use it to reduce some of the typing that I was doing in emails and Slack, but. Okay. I was going to ask, are you trying to use this for code or? No, no, no. But I thought, you know, every little bit might count. Yeah. Yeah. Because what someone on uh, our Discord was talking about, uh, they posted a link to Copilot Voice, Mm -hmm. which is a new product they're launching that you can, if you're already on Copilot, you can sign up for it, where you just speak and it will pick, you know, you speak the code and it ushers forth like you're a wizard or something (laughs) off to be the wizard. But uh, yeah, I was like, my response was like, oh my God, I I don't even want to talk to people during the day. Why would I want to talk to my computer? (laughs) And he's like, well, you know, I I just, I'm just glad to know that if something happens to my fingies, I can still do my job. I'm like, okay, that's that's a legitimate concern. So, so that's my failure, but I do want to just close out with a small triumph here, which is, as we discussed on last week's episode, my employment at Envision has, I don't want to say ended, but it's come into question. I've been, I've been redundant, redundantized from a uh, full-time employee to at least a part-time employee, but I'm still waiting to hear details on what that actually means. And it's, it's been a bit frustrating that I feel like I'm hanging it's out in like this a whole limbo. week now. Yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. And it, but my triumph is in this fog of war, 
I feel like I'm still doing my best to stay motivated at work and figure out what I can do to improve the product and make a better customer experience. Hopefully, I, I know that there are certain things that I can't do in, in my state of mind. Like it's very hard for me to think long term. How can mm-hmm. I radically improve a feature, or how could I create a new feature? Like my brain, my brain's just not there right now. Yeah, so, you're not going to take on a project. It's going to take six weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it, like my brain won't even let me think about that without freaking out. So I'm trying to focus on cleaning up tasks. Like what? A, where's the baggage that I can remove from the application? Where's some of the older, cruftier technologies that I can replace with some maybe newer stuff? And I'm, I'm at least proud of myself that I am continuing to put one foot in front of the other and maximize whatever time I have left. I know that one option would have been to just watch YouTube all day. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, no one at work would have batted an eye, honestly. No. But I, I'm, that's, I'm not that's doing that. That's a good that. mindset. That's a good mindset. Although I have to say, when you first started saying that, I was like, my, my image was of the uh, meme of the dog with the hat and the flames in the background and going, this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just doing his work. He's calm. He's like, this is fine. Did you work 40 hours this week, Ben? Does he ever? I, I mean, I'm I'm technically still a full time employee until I sign a contract. Oh, until I you hear otherwise, says I'm not. Okay. Which yeah. you know, oh, I expected. Sucks. I expected last week. So I'm. They keep saying that they're figuring out what what the contract should look like. Hey, maybe it'd be like office space, and they just never fix the glitch. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, that's a movie reference. <laughs> when you when you when you read this back on the transcription, oh, yeah. Anyway, so I've I've taken up enough of our time. No, no. So I got to say though, I got a lot of flack Ben last week for saying that you got fired. <laughs> Damn our, straight. Our, our, our listeners like, like, no, he didn't get. I mean, because it's like to me, it's like you have a job or you don't have a job. It's right, like, right, you know, right. Are you getting a paycheck or not? It doesn't matter. You call it laid off or whatever. But okay, I will correct myself. I am sorry. <laughs> he is not. He was not fired. He's part of a workforce reduction slash layoff, but obviously he hasn't signed anything yet. So he's actually not fired. He's actually still a full-time employee right now. So I, yeah, I don't know what he is. I'm he, like a Schrodinger's is, employee. Exactly. Like, don't, don't exactly. Look too that was, I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> he's in that quantum entanglement right now with I, his employment. I remember back when, when I went to Scotch on the Rocks conference, which I think was in like 2008 or 2010. I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I had never heard the term redundant before. I guess that's a European term. European, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, as a, in the context of being, of, of let being go. employed. Let go, yeah. And I remember one guy I was talking to at the conference was really upset that he had been made redundant in work. And I was like, uh, why are you so upset? Like, so they brought in some other people who do the thing that you do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize he meant that he no longer had a job. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it is sort of like a, a a weird way to say it. Made redundant. It makes it sound like you know someone else is doing your job. But if you're like basically cutting the company down like eighty percent, you're not redundant. There's no one right? taking your job. <laughs> You're gone. And they're not filling that position anymore. All right. Well, normally I would go to Carol. But as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, Carol is currently moving, hence the topic of the show. So I'm going to go over to Tim. What do you got going on? Good luck, Carol, moving. Hopefully you don't use pods again. Because <laughs> um, that was not sponsored and they probably will never sponsor us now. Yeah, I hope everything goes smoothly with your move out to Arizona. So, for lack of a better thing, I'm going with a triumph. I mean, we're adding new product features. I kind of feel disconnected from it because all I've kind of done is like come up with the ideas and added, you know, add the product features and they're getting built and I check in on it and they're doing great. Customers looked at it. We've demoed it. Things look great. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's nice when you add new product features and, and you're like, why didn't we add this sooner? That's that's kind of my thing. Well, I mean, this was so easy. Some of the stuff we're adding is like, people have kind of asked for it. And I thought, eh, I, I never really, but the, you know, we created it. I'm like, now that I see it in practice, I'm like, wow, this, and this is kind of what we talked about last time about building the thing to build the thing. We, we did that. 
after we built it, I'm like, you know what? This actually, we can sell this. This could be a product in itself. It's, it's you know, another extra tool. Gluten-free cool. bread. Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, you know, we need to keep doing more of this kind of stuff. So it just feels good when you add new product features and you get good feedback on it. Hopefully it leads to some sales. We'll see. Right now we're doing it for a customer that's a new customer. That's sort of a slightly, we mostly have dealt with property casually, you know, insurance, kind of the insurance of covering things. And this is workers comp. And so they have sort of a different use case with stuff. So with payments. So attacking that thing for them, it's like a whole new kind of customer base we can go after. So yeah, it's, that's exciting. It's, yeah, yeah, it's looking positive. So, but and it was super easy, barely in convenience. That's a YouTube reference. I, I didn't get it. Yeah, it's it's so sorry. So, side rant. So, there's a YouTube channel called Pitch Meeting. So it is basically it's a guy. He does this thing where he pretends to be a guy pitching the movie to the studio executive. And I like it. I can see where this is yeah, really fun. And, and every single time, it's like he will come up with a plot point that actually makes no sense. And the guy, the executive's like, wow, that's going to be really hard for them to get out of. And he'll be like, no, super easy, barely an inconvenience. And <laughs> yeah, it was just true because typically they, there's always some point in the movie, it's like, how do they get out of that? That's just stupid. But anyway, yeah. So, my point is like the, the product features we were building really weren't that hard. And I'm like, why didn't we do this sooner? We should have done this sooner. We could have been selling this, but I didn't know there was a use case there. So once you find the use case, you got to. Mm-hmm. I always felt like there should be more engineering input into roadmap decisions. I, I, I mean, obviously sure. this is going to vary widely from company to company, but I have found at our company, it always felt like the roadmap was almost entirely product and design driven and never engineering driven. And there are so many things exactly like you're talking about that would, I think have been huge value adds, but they were never prioritized because product didn't have any sense of how easy those things might be to build. I I, I get what you're saying. End of conversation. (laughs) No, no, I'm going to have to come at you at a different angle here. I've been on product a long time and development a long time. And a lot of times the stuff that I wanted to build and I built it and then no one bought it. Yeah. Well, that, that too. And so now it's like, I'm more dealing with the customer a whole lot. And they're like, they'll tell me something and I'll, once I really understand it. And, and I think honestly, the biggest change, cause I did sales for a while and that I didn't really enjoy that. But one thing I learned is that before you do a sales call as a salesperson, particularly when you're going from, so they're interested, they want to see your product, now they're asking for a technical demo. One of the best things you can ask is to say, all right, so when we do this technical demo, what in your mind would be the best thing for you to see? And if if you can get that information out of them to say, what we'd really like to see is to be able to do A, B, and C, and then move money from this point to this point. And then at the end, we get a report that looks like this. It sounds super simple, but those questions, honestly, in the past couple of years have been so informative that now I go back to the engineers and say, here's what they want to see. Because a lot of times just you tell a person a problem and they build, hmm. they build a solution that doesn't necessarily do the story that the customer wants. They build the story that they think they want. And so that that has honestly made the biggest difference in the past couple of years of just asking that question before any I won't I won't do a demo anymore unless I know that either myself or the salesperson has asked that question of what is it you're wanting to see? Describe to me the perfect demo for you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I and love then, that from and a then demo you can standpoint, especially. Right. And then sometimes you you'll find out like, okay, you ask for a perfect demo, we maybe do 60% of that. Right. And you and you just tell them up front, look, so we can show you one, two, three, four, but we're not going to show you five, six, and seven because we, that, you always say, that's on our roadmap. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's on our roadmap. And then you actually wind up eventually working on that. And then you go back to them, you know, because a lot of times it takes a long time to make a sales decision. You come back to them and say, all right, so last time we showed you one through whatever, now we've done this. Now we think we've done your perfect demo. If we show you all those things, 
would that be like the, the perfect demo for you? And then by that time, they probably have some other stuff they want to add, but whatever. It's kind of reiterative, but you're getting closer and closer to their dream goal. So, I mean, that, that ties in nicely. I was going to say, like, when you're going to, if you're going to ask those questions to, to prepare for a sales meeting or demo, you have to be really honest with yourself and, and yeah. not say, show me what you want to, or tell me what you want to see so that I can go make, the, you know, mock ups that don't actually have any functionality that just do what you want to see so I can make the sale. And then it's somebody else's problem to build it and make it work. You have to be honest with yourself. Like, can we actually do this? Is this a reasonable right. thing to add to our product? Is it germane with our vision for the future of the product? Yeah. And, and sometimes, honestly, we, we have done an MVP. Like, like, well, give us three to four weeks and we'll, we'll show you that demo. And you actually do kind of mm-hmm. somewhat prototype it and build it. And then the contracting terms, they always take a long time. So that in the meantime, you build it. But, you know, sometimes it's a much bigger ask. And you're like, okay, well, we can't do that now, but can we check back in with you in six months and show you that? You know, will we be out of the deal if you do that? So, so with all my work stuff, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and a lot of looking back at decisions that I've made in the past and, and things I regret, things I'm proud of. Got to update that LinkedIn profile. And what's LinkedIn? <laughs> That's where olds go to find work. Yeah. And I keep, for whatever reason, this phrase keeps popping into my head. And it's, I think it's often attributed to Henry Ford, although I think maybe there's, I don't, he may have never said it, which is that uh, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Right. Exactly. And uh, I think that gets thrown out there a lot because I think product teams want to think like one that we're constantly have to be making these massive innovations in order to be adding value to people's lives. And then two, our insights into the product are just better than the customer's insights into the product. And I'll tell you, if I've had one really big regret, it's that I think maybe I allowed that story to play out too much at the company. Mm -hmm. There were so many times where customers came to us with actual points of friction that they were having on a daily basis. Hey, I want a button to do this. Hey, there's a bug here that should be fixed. And we just like blew it off. And mm. we're like, that's just not important to us. Like we have to be innovating in these big product areas and these little frictions that you're having just, they're just not important. And you know, maybe I'm being a little overly flippant about that, but. Be careful. You're still technically employed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm hearing Tim talk, talk about asking customers what they actually want to see. And it just feels like that's a, that's a skill that I think maybe a lot of startup-y type companies have, have, I don't know, maybe they, they, that gets thrown to the background too often mm. and, and should be more in the forefront of how people are yeah. thinking. I, I know you don't follow the discord too religiously, Ben, but so I think, Sean posted a link about why Envision kind of lost oh, market yeah, share. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That post's a couple it, years old. Yeah, and it's something about screens. I, I don't know what that means, but oh, it's like... It's a prototyping app. It's just like screenshots yeah, yeah, that yeah, you can yeah. click on. Yeah, but yeah, so some users, like, I used it, and I was like, I thought, okay, this is great. If it only had X feature, I don't, I don't know what it was called. It was screens or something, but anyway, folders. There's, and then it took, and then it was never added. So this chart just kind of just dives where you guys had like major market share and then your competitors just took over. Figma yeah. ate everybody's lunch. Yeah, Figma, yeah. yeah. I That's mean, why Adobe bought them. Folders is a perfect example of, of exactly what we're talking about. For years, people said, hey, I just want to be able to organize my stuff so that I don't have it as like one giant list. All I want is folders. And we just refused and i can't even tell you why we just refused to give it to them and i think it was because if i had to guess it's like we wanted to have a better solution that folders was too simplistic Mm. it wasn't like it wasn't wasn't innovative enough yeah it's like it wasn't the five whys you know digging 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 to get to the underlying cause of what actually kind of solution you know you you're coming to us with the solution of folders and that's you know, don't come to us with the solution. Come to us mm-hmm. with the problem. Like, what's the actual problem? And, and like, at the end of the day, the problem was 
they didn't have folders and they wanted folders. <laughs> right? Like, it's, and, and, and I think that's the perfect example of the hubris of feeling like you have to innovate when really the most obvious option is probably the one that people actually need. I, I honestly believe that innovation is a trap. Right. I mean, innovation is one of those lightning in a bottle kind of things, right? Everyone works for it. Everybody wants it. If it happens, fantastic. Good for you. Go reap your billions in stock options. But most people, being the first to do something is not the biggest advantage that people think it is. You know, the the first mover is not always the person who wins. I mean, you think about. But it is a big advantage in in some circumstances. It can be. It can be. But a lot, I mean, we only remember the first movers that that really shifted mm-hmm. the needle, and like you know, Apple things like that. But even in those cases, like a lot of times, these are people. That it's the second person, the third person, the fourth person who does the innovation, but does it just a bit better. They're the ones who win. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit. We could go on and on about this. the The main thing I wanted to say is. We've now talked about both sides of this, right? So you, it's easy to be flippant and say, well, you're asking, you're giving me a solution. I'm going to try and find the real problem and solve that versus, you know, you can just go ask the customer, what do you want? And I can go build it. And and both of those you can take to extremes and they go bad. And it's, right. it, it may not be the finest of line to walk, but there is a, it's a balance, right? You got to stay in the middle there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, my brain. I just want to. I want to go on a tangent here. My my turn. I know. Come on. So we were talking. <laughs> we we're talking about like first mover advantage and and that sort of thing. So maybe there's an element of that here or not. So I, I'm thinking of SpaceX. Moving. Right? So, yeah, as we're moving it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of SpaceX and their their uh, landing rockets autonomously. Is, it, is that landing. Amazon or Elon? That's Elon, Elon. Musk. Elon. Elon. Yeah. Uh, Amazon. Jeff Bezos is uh, Blue Origin. Gotcha. Um, so Sorry, yeah. Phallic. Giant phallic rocket. Yeah, it's the one that... Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, anyway, it's been something... I, I remember reading this recently. It's been something like nine years or, or you know, whatever. Some some ridiculously long amount of time given the idea of, like, a rocket could land itself and you could just clean it up and reuse it. And nobody else has, has successfully done it yet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not the first movers in rockets, but they are the first movers in that. Right. And mm-hmm. and it's it's an idea. Like other people are trying different methods, and it's just like you could be the first mover in like your your twist on it. That being said, they're not that ridiculously profitable right now. Well, no, but they are the only human capable launch service from the United States to the ISS. So True. they can but, kind of charge whatever the hell they want to the government. But they've already that field and now someone else can come out and do it cheaper better and faster and totally eat their lunch you know what i'm saying as a yeah no i mean I, listen i'm the last person to stand here and try and defend elon <laughs> musk and and no, all that but, but. You're, you're you make a good point and i was listening to an interview with the guy who created wordpress i don't know maybe like six months ago and he worked at a company where there was... That was episode... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. Um, he worked at a company that had already an in-house content management system. And he built what became WordPress in-house. And people started using it. And other people at the company who had worked on the content management system said, I don't understand why people are using your system. It's awful. Like, if you look at our CMS... It has all these really advanced features. It can do loads of stuff that your system can't do. I I don't understand why anyone's using it. And he said, you're right. Your system is way better in all the ways, except for the one that really matters, which is that mine's very easy to use. And Mm. and it's like you you can get that, that one differentiating feature that's so differentiating in such an important way that it doesn't matter how much prior art there is in other systems. For sure. Okay, well, now we're 40 minutes in. Do we actually want to <laughs> cover our topic or should we just make this the, the tangents episode? Anybody got else? Any, anybody else got something random you want to talk about? Uh, we had to go back and record the introduction. <laughs> no, no. Let's, let's leave that as a surprise ending, right? Or it's just a cliffhanger. Like, you know what? We talk so much about this. We're just, we're moving on. We'll talk about moving later. <laughs> So I did have something that, that's been 
chafing me lately that I want to talk about, but it was, it'll be, I think, a relatively short topic. So maybe we'll dive into that. You guys cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, sure. Okay. So it's no surprise. I'm sure I've mentioned to you guys that I love TypeScript, right? Uh, I I, I love the experience of writing TypeScript and and the experience of using a well-written TypeScript library, right? It just solves a whole class of problems. It finds bugs in your code for you that you don't even notice are there, that it probably would have been four years until it actually happened. And then you're like, you spend a week trying to debug it sort of thing. And it just gives you a red squiggly in advance. And you're like, oh yeah, I just need to consider that this might be undefined in in some rare cases. and, And that fixes the problem. Anyway, I, I love TypeScript and, and there's, you know, different ways to use it. There's the the vanilla TypeScript or there's the JS doc thing we've talked about recently. But, and I think it gets a little funky when you start to do TypeScript plus ESM, ECMAScript modules that like import and export instead of module.exports and require, Okay. right? So that, that module.exports and require, that's called common JS or CJS. And then the the newer more like ECMAScript 6 or whatever it is beyond that, that where they added import and export. So now you've got like two ways of doing the JavaScript of the module stuff. And now you've got two ways of doing types or, or no types, right? And so when you try to make various things work together, it can be a hellscape. <laughs> <laughs> you get strange error messages you're trying to like follow people's tutorials and you're like okay build your library like this and you you know you need to build or you, you you're writing your library in typescript but you maybe you want it to be consumable from regular javascript so you've got to compile it so that it is uh, you, you're spitting out a common js what is it a uh, compatible version and you've got a esm compatible version right and you've got typings for both and it's it's a nightmare and i hate it and it's like the worst possible thing about TypeScript. This would, does this only matter if you're publishing a library for other people to consume? Or is this something that matters even if you're just creating files internally? I think I can best answer that question with a, a, a brief story. Um, <laughs> we have, you know, we have our products and we, we heavily use JavaScript in a, a butt ton of lambdas and small containers that do things. And so in order to share common functionality, like make a connection to Redis that, you know, I want to make, I want to say it's customer A in production and just get back a connected database client, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or connected Redis client, whatever. And so we've got modules that are like that and, and a bunch of utilities and stuff. And they're all, all sort of grouped into this one package. And we just called it like alumni queue modules. We'll just call it that. And we struggled a lot with that. We learned a lot of lessons about like what should and shouldn't go in there and how it should be organized and you know what what are the pros and cons of, of including certain things. And so I tried to take those lessons and rewrite it from scratch. The whole collection of utilities is not even that much, right? The, the database and the Redis are like the two biggest things and those are just wrappers around the public Redis and MySQL clients, yeah. right? And... So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewrite the whole project, this whole repository from scratch with TypeScript, and I'm gonna like go look up the the tutorials from like this week that are like this is the way you write a TypeScript module, and it's gotta cross compile to both CJS and ESM, and it's gonna have types, and it's gonna be great. And I did that, and it, it, like every time we try to use it, it's just pain, 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 pain <laughs> in our own projects. And like everything, like, so this was, uh, you know, around the same time that I was spending a whole bunch of time working on what I was hoping would become our Svelte kit, sort of like our new backbone that our new rewrite of our application would go into. And I was like, okay, great. So we'll put it, well, I'll, you know, another like lesson learned. Let's, let's try to do this as like a mono repo sort of thing, right? So you've got that, the application, the monolith in one thing, and then you've got all these little packages that you're publishing, but they're in the same repository. Well, let's just like combine it all in there. And that too was a pain in the neck. I want to use much worse words than that, but I don't want to have this to just it, be bleep, bleep, bleep. Maybe I, I missed some of this. So the issue or part of the issue is that you want to be able to use this code in both TypeScript and non-TypeScript contexts? Yeah, so we have a lot of... We've been writing JavaScript code for, I don't know, like eight, nine years, years. And, right? And so we've got 
now, obviously, we've been writing JavaScript for a lot longer than that, but I'm specifically talking about the right. things that are in production today on like AWS Lambda or running on a container in our in our infrastructure. These are projects that are we're still using them. They're still being updated, and we need to be able to keep them moving forward. And so, yes, I'd love it to be TypeScript, and I would love to be able to import that into a JavaScript only project because I don't have time to go and upgrade all 17 lambdas right, right, to right. all be TypeScript based now. Well, I know, I feel like this was you. Maybe it was another podcast. I think it was you a couple of months ago. Were you the one talking about how you were excited about the typing you could do in JS in docs, at least yeah. coming, you know, coming down the pipe? That would yep. certainly sound like it would solve some of these problems. Yeah, and I just haven't had time to dive into that pool. I do I do believe it would solve some of these problems. I completely agree because then you just you you remove you take the 2 by 2 problem, right? The ESM versus CJS and the types versus not types thing and you so when you do that, you've got a 2 to the power of 2. So you have four problems or or four potential <laughs> outcomes, right? And and by getting rid of the TypeScript thing, right? It's just JavaScript with some comments and the IDE can read the comments and, and feel like, okay, I can be helpful here. That in and of itself would cut the, the potential outcomes in half. And so I feel like that is very probably a good idea. And I did, t- I have one small project that I built that I, I did the JS doc uh, approach for. And it was a little funky here and there, but I made it work. And the TypeScript stuff, you know, it does the type checking in its project. Oh, God. It's been too long now, right? It's been, I don't know, two, three months, and I've been 100% on compliance brain. So <laughs> I, I don't remember. There, I, I was struggling for a few weeks with it, or, or maybe for a week with it, where like I was doing all the TypeScript stuff, and, I, and the IDE would just like behave like it wasn't TypeScript. And I don't oh. know if that was like when I was trying to import these files that had the comments or... The project, or maybe I just needed to reboot my computer, or you know, like it's right. just—it was that kind of like hokiness where it's like I, I, I'm not sure what's going wrong, but something—it doesn't feel right. That's frustrating. I know that feeling. Yeah, your heart matters. <laughs> you know, Thank you. Oh, it's just while we're on the topic of JavaScript modules for a second, I remember this was like a year ago or two years ago. My sense of time here is not good. When suddenly you could do top level await calls inside oh of your module, you know, because normally, normally you have to do an async function, and then inside the async function, that's where you can do awaits. Mm-hmm. And people were super excited about the fact that you could just do these top level awaits. And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, "Well, that's just going to break and do in exciting ways. Like people are not <laughs> going to understand the implications of that." And not, I'm not saying that I understand the implications of that, but I was. Not so long ago, hearing someone discuss it on a podcast, and they were saying that when you have a top-level weight, it actually fundamentally changes what the module is. It turns it from a synchronous module into an asynchronous module, and then like every module that an asynchronous module gets included into automatically also becomes an asynchronous module. And like I don't know what that means exactly, but it probably means that it's going to break at some point in some way that you don't fully understand. And I, I don't know. It was just it was just funny to like see all these people racing to use this. Right and when like my mind immediately went to red flags. <laughs> <laughs> You've been burned too many times, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the the other thing that like with all these TypeScript woes I've been having, the other thing going through my mind is like maybe we should try Dino. Like maybe just going first class TypeScript would would just solve these problems, right? Then we wouldn't have to worry about compiling. It's got ESM out of the box. I think it probably supports. CJS mm-hmm. and you know you can run you can run non-typed JavaScript code on Dino. It's just like uh, Dino like like from the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if you look at the logo, it does look a lot like Dino from the Flintstones, but you've not heard of this, Tim? No, I've not heard of it. No. Okay. So Ryan Dahl, the guy who created Node.js, you know, stepped away from the project for many years and then kind of came back out of the woodwork a few years back and he's like, so I've I've been gone all this time, and one of the things that I did after reflecting on the things that I ultimately didn't like about Node, like he was like, okay, I made I made Node, and then you know, with hindsight, I was like, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. So he came back, and he's like, I've made this new thing, which is very Node-like, except you know, it's TypeScript, so no compiling, none of that. It just supports TypeScript out of the box. It's got top-level await. <laughs> so we just mentioned that it. 
everything, like anything security wise is off by default. It has yeah. no disk access. It has no network access. It can't do anything. You have to give it a flag on startup of the application to give it permission. You can, and you can go star. You can say like allow network equal star, whatever the, the command is, the flag. Or you can say it's only allowed to access <laughs> the pirate bay or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. You can lock it down as tight as you want. And, and there's like a bunch of other things and they have like their own. So, you know how like Vercel, the author, the, the creators of Next.js, they have their own platform now and, and you can deploy your, your Next.js projects to the Vercel platform or whatever. Like Dino has their own, it's called Dino Deploy, I think. And it's like their own sort of cloud. It's probably a layer on top of AWS or whatever, but you know, it's their own cloud edge thing and it's supposedly really fast and and really easy to use and i, I mean i have not touched any of this but yeah it, no, it's all very interesting to me interesting I, it's funny so dino is spelled with all the same letters that node is spelled mm-hmm. with, right it's just it's remixed and mm-hmm. for whatever reason that made me think of we were talking a couple of episodes ago maybe this was on the after show about the, the dennis system on uh-huh. it's always sunny yeah and in this last season season 16 he talks about the SIND system. Yep. And and he's talking to Mac. And Mac's like, oh my God, what are the chances that it would have been Dennis <laughs> backwards? He goes, hundred percent. I made it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that education. Oh man. Okay. Well, this was fun. Yeah. So we didn't really get to talk about moving on a whole lot. So we'll be moving on from this topic and we'll maybe move on to it later again. (laughs) Yeah, maybe next week. Sorry for the swerve. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. All right, well then that's going to do it for us this week. This episode of Working Code was brought to you by Mac OS Dictation, which is not anywhere good as iOS Dictation, but hey, still, still trying. It makes no sense. And listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can continue putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing and transcript costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. So special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. We are going to go record the after show, which is a perk for our patrons. You have to become a patron or you can get a free trial of our patron. Go to patreon.com slash working code pod. Give it a listen and maybe you'll stick around. Support us and support whatever this is <laughs> that we're doing. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember your heart matters, even if you plan to move on and then just talk about whatever this was. (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.